Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of the Alec Delo MMA show and a lot of you may have realized that I changed the name from Mixed Martial Analysis to this and that was just because I don't know man the name was like cheesy and it was so hard to find a website domain for like so this this just seems so much more straightforward to the point and like simple and clean right so uh here we are anyway let's talk about the fights last night because a lot went down there were a lot of finishes um and a lot of really I mean, really impressive performances from a lot of up-and-coming guys. Um, kicking off the night, you had Herbert Burns, Gilbert Burns' little brother, submit Evan Dunham with a really slick rear naked choke. I mean, there were, there were two really impressive rear naked chokes and you, some really advanced setups to get to the finish in this fight and then Algerman Sterling versus Sandhagen, obviously. But, I mean, uh, you're starting to see that like when these guys get to the ground, they're not just hand fighting for things anymore. They're like setting guys up and making them think they're going one day, one way, and the guys are falling into the choke, um, not knowing that they're walking into there. It's like these traps that these guys are setting that these high-level jiu-jitsu players are starting to set on the ground, and you're starting to see like advancements in that regard. You know what I mean? Because pretty much everyone knows how to get to the back now and how to like you're hand fighting and trying to like make him lift his head up or peel his head back to slide your arm on shit like that, right? Like, but now you're starting to see some more advanced jujitsu with guys like Herbert Burns and Aljamain Sterling. I mean, you're starting to see that seep into MMA a little bit more and it's exciting. Um, anyway, really impressive win by Herbert Burns. Devin Clark got into a dog fight with Alonzo Menafield, was able to survive the early onslaught and turned it into a pretty grappling heavy situation. And he, he did such a good job of even when he was put, pushed up against the cage, he was still always throwing strikes, particularly like to the inside of Alonzo Menafield's legs. So he did a great job. Alex Perez ended up going out and beating Juicy A Formiga via leg kicks, man. He put on a great fucking show. Alex Perez is a real, real threat at flyweight. I think he's one of the most promising contenders there. Uh, moving on to the prelims that started airing on ESPN, Charles Bird lost to Maki Patolo. Um, he got knocked out and man, he like, it, it seemed like he was just, well, I think he definitely got hurt by Patolo, but it seemed like he just, I don't know, man, he was overextending on a lot of things with the strikes and stuff. And I mean, really putting a lot into his punches and out of position with his footwork and stuff. And Patolo was able to capitalize on that in the second round and pick up a big win. So hats off to him. Cody Stamen obviously picked up an emotional win over Brian Kelleher. That was, uh, you know, a little bit of a tearjerker if you were watching that one. Cody obviously lost his brother and then had to go in and fight. And you got to think that when this camp's going on, you don't really get to grieve, right? So he can pick up a win, go home, and, like, begin the mourning process and start, you know, starting to heal from all that. So it was, it was, it was, good. It was a good fight, too, man, a high-paced fight. And uh, it was really fun to watch, and it was good to see Cody pick up a win. Ian Heinish beat Gerald Mearshart. And every time I watch Mearshart, man, he, I always, like, one of the – techniques for whatever reason always pick up on is his left kick to the body he just sets it up so nicely and his timing with it and he was starting to work that against Heinish but Heinish man just like came over top with that right hand and put an end to the night quickly um within two minutes of the first round one minute 14 seconds so impressive win for Ian Heinish and um middleweight starting to look like it's got you know I mean middleweight's getting interesting man so then we move on to the headliner for the prelims, and you got Alex Caceres versus Chase Hooper. And say what you want about Hooper striking and everything, but you gotta give, you gotta give it to him for toughness, man. He kept coming forward. He ate a lot of big shots from Caceres, and it was a clear and obvious disadvantage for Chase Hooper when he was on the feet. When he was on the ground, it was more comfortable, but you could just see that even in those situations, 
Like, Caceres, might, he might get into a little bit of trouble, but he had enough savvy to get out of those positions. I mean, Alex Caceres is a legitimate veteran, man. He's a, uh, you know, a guy who's been around for a long time. He's been just constantly improving, and I think that it was a little bit too much too soon for Chase Hooper. Um, but a lot to take away from him for that fight. A lot of things that he can go work up. He needs to really close up his striking and stuff. I mean, like, tighten things up. Uh, lots of openings there, but he he still has a lot of promise because his ground game is so nasty. He just needs to find a way to utilize his hands to set up those takedowns and get the fight where he wants it to go. And you saw against Caceres, he was just never able to do that. But a good win for Alex Caceres. All right, moving on to the main card. We kick things off with Sean O'Malley versus Eddie Wineland. And this was one, this was one of those fights, man, where – I, I wasn't nervous for O'Malley. Like, it's not like I thought this was a task that was too tall for him to, like, conquer or anything like that. But part of me kind of thought that people were sleeping on Wineland a little bit too much going into it just because Wineland's a real vet man, former WEC champion. He's fought some of the best in the world. And his striking looked really crisp in his last fight. He, um, he counters well. He's got some awkward movement. And he sets things up and he slides out of range and fires back with that right hand really nicely. But the difference maker in this fight and the difference maker in a lot of fights is the creativity of Sean O'Malley and subtle little things that he does. And you can just see that, like, when he threw that, like, he fainted with that uppercut and the hands came down from Wineland, he immediately just turned it over and came over top. And it's like his striking is very advanced and he looks so much better now even. And even, like, his, you can tell that he's in better shape. Like, he's filled out better. He looks he's, – he's a more complete fighter than when – we saw him on the contender series so constant improvement and he's kind of got that wow factor about him man and a lot of people are wondering like what's next for sean o'malley who's he gonna fight and i've seen some stuff like someone tweeted on twitter uh cody garbrandt versus o'malley i don't think that's what i don't think that's what you want to see yet but i could see sean o'malley he's gonna crack that top 15 with this win no doubt especially with the way he did it I think you might see him fight somebody like a John Dodson or a Jimmy Rivera. I think those two guys might make sense. Um, I think they're both veterans. They're both considered elite fighters, right? They're ranked in the top 15. So they've both seen world-class talent. Um, and maybe just – I mean, like, I, no offense to Eddie Wineland, nothing like that, but they would be considered a notch above him in terms of talent, right? So you got to see Sean O'Malley progress, and if he takes care of business like that, now you're probably going to start talking about him fighting the top 10. And he's a star. Like, man, he's got that star power about him. So if he keeps knocking people out, if he keeps doing this, especially in the way that he did that, that walk-off knockout, I mean, he when he sent that right hand over top and connected, he knew he put him the fuck out and he just walked off, man. it was, I mean, it was beautiful. And if he keeps doing that throughout his career, you're going to see him get a fast track to the title just because it's going to be that Conor McGregor thing, man, where, like, he, he – he just comes out. He's got a unique personality. He's sellable, and he puts on a fucking show. So I think the, I bet the next time you see O'Malley fight, it's going to be probably in a main event on a free card on either ESPN or ESPN Plus against probably somebody around the talent level of like John Dodson, Jimmy Rivera. I would I would guess someone like that. You might see him fight like Song Yudong or Cheeto Vera, but those guys don't seem like a big enough name after what he just did. He's going to need somebody with a little bit more recognition in the division, I think. I think, And I think he deserves that. Like, It's just the way he's winning, man. You can't deny it. And he's got that, he's got that star power. So we'll see. Big things for Sean O'Malley are going to be coming down the road. 
All right, next we had a welterweight bout between Neil Magny and Anthony Rocco Martin. And this was a really interesting fight because Rocco Martin is a, I mean, he's a really high, he's a high level black belt, right? He's not like a Damian Maya black belt, but he submitted guys like Jake Matthews. And most of his wins have come via submission in his career. And he was going up against a guy in Neil Magny who's more of a striker. Um, uses that length and stuff well, right? And he keeps guys at range. And uh, Martin had to find a way to close that distance off in this fight. And he did a good job of it through the first and second round. I thought those two rounds, I thought they were kind of hard to score. But I just thought that they were going to give it to Martin because of the forward pressure. I think that Magny was more efficient when they were in open space and everything. But even Martin would still land there. Um, I don't know. I would have to re- like rewatch the fight and actually score him. But it's uh, they were close. But especially like Martin landed that takedown in the second round too, and was inside control. And like Magny had to work to escape. I just thought that they were going to give those rounds. And when I heard, I think there were like two thirty to twenty seven uh, scorecards read in favor of Magny at the end of the fight. And I was like, whoa, they gave all three rounds to Magny. I mean, the third round, Magny really took over with the striking and started putting a pace on Martin and picking him apart and had the range like clearly established at that point. Like if that fight goes five rounds, I think he's going to, he's probably going to find a way to get the finish there. I mean, he's going to continue to pour it on Martin, but I don't know, man. I thought the first two rounds were close. I didn't expect the scorecards to look like that. I thought you might see a split decision in this fight or something. But anyway, Neil Magny picks up a big win. And this kind of this brings up a problem with the scoring, right? Because there's no way Magny, the margin by which Magny won the third round was much wider than the margin that Anthony Rocco Martin won any of his rounds. So um, if he won any in your eyes, you know what I mean? So I there's got to be something done about that. I've kind of, I mean, I've said this before, but it should work like a scale. Whoever's doing more gets more weight added to their end of the scale, and you need to be able to reflect the gap, um, so to say. And I think the best way to do that is to have like a 20-point system where you have like a 10-10 as a draw, 11-9 as a close round, 12-8 um, to 8 would be like a clear and obvious round, and then a 13-7 to 7 would be like pure domination and I know that like those are some wide numbers to make up if you get down but it also kind of more accurately represents what was happening in each of the rounds you know what I mean I think there should be a a, a way to better like gauge what's actually a a way to better score just what's actually happening in the fights and like I said kind of reflect the gap that guys are putting between them and their opponent and I don't think the system does that right now. Anyway, though, good win for Neil Magny. Going to be interesting to see who they match him up against next because I think before this fight, was he coming off his loss to Ponzinibbio? I can't remember. Um, Let me look it up real quick. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because he's, I know, you know, he's been around for such a long time. He's a consistent uh, contender. And, oh, no, he beat Li Jinglong. Uh, before that, he lost to Santiago Ponzinibbio. But, you know, Neil Magny is one of the best in the division, man. So we're, I think we're going to see him fight someone pretty big next. Okay, moving on. And this was the fight that I was probably most excited for. Corey Sandhagen versus Aljamain Sterling. Now, I mean, if you can uh, see my shirt here, I, I train at Easton. So, I, I mean, I don't know Corey Sandhagen personally or anything like that. I've seen him at the gym a couple times. But I have an obvious bias for him, right? Like, I, I'm going to root for him. But Aljamain Sterling came out in this fight and looked brilliant. 
He did a good job of putting pressure on Sandhagen early. I think that helped to A, you know you're fighting in a small octagon. So you can close space a little bit easier and afford to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and also it helps to bring some of the offense out of Sandhagen. And what's one of your best tools for managing range? Kicks. And when Corey Sandhagen threw that kick, that one kick that Aldermaine Sterling caught and Aldermaine started pushing the fight up against the cage, I mean, they just got into... I mean, these grappling exchanges in which Aljamain Sterling was always a step ahead. And that's saying a lot because he was able to eventually submit Sandhagen. And if you think about Sandhagen's last fight, he fought Hafaiawa Sunsau, who is a world-class jiu-jitsu player. Um, High-level black belt, and Sandhagen looked very good on the ground in the exchanges that they had. Like, they got into some really interesting... They got into some really interesting transitions and everything, and Sandhagen looked very competent. So um, it was impressive to see Aljamain Sterling win in such an impressive fashion. I mean, it was he really made a statement. I don't think there's any doubt anymore about who the number one contender in the division is. I think he has to get the winner of Aldo versus Jan. And, yeah, man, really just cemented himself as the number one contender. And I would think – this is one like, okay, where are these guys going to go next? Like I said, Aldermaine's clearly going to get the title shot, but Sandhagen, I kind of wonder if he's going to end up fighting a guy like Cody Garbrandt because Sandhagen, I think, has more versatility in his game, uh, switches stances more often. He's a little bit longer, but Cody has some of the best boxing um, in the entire division, and he's just coming off this win over a Sunsau, which we're going to talk about next. So I think that a matchup between Sandhagen and Cody Garbrandt kind of makes sense because it's not like Sandhagen got knocked out or anything. I mean, he got choked out. He's going to be okay after this fight's over. He didn't take a lot of damage. Um, and Cody Garbrandt's a guy who you might, if he just got into like a war or something with Aljamain Sterling, you might want to give him some time to like recover. But both of those guys also made it out. So you might see a matchup like that made relatively soon, depending on how fast they both want to get back on track. Um, that would be a fight too that would be beneficial in a massive way for each guy if they won. Like, if Sandhagen beats Garbrandt, it's going to push him right back up into, like, the title, like, that top three talk again, like him fighting those guys, and same for Garbrandt. So, I think that fight would make a lot of sense. Uh, and it's 135 is in an interesting place, man. And in my opinion, the second best division in the UFC right now behind 155. It's so fucking deep. There's so much talent there. But, um, yeah, it was... I mean, disappointing to see Corey Sandhagen win a little bit, but also you just got to respect the level of detail in Aljamain Sterling's game. And I did a uh, video, like, breaking down. In a, it's just like a more detailed look at how Aljamain Sterling won the fight. Um, I just thought it deserved more attention. So I'll drop a link to that in the uh, description for this video. Um, moving on. <laughs> Cody Garbrandt putting on a fucking show. Uh, Cody 2.0, as people are calling him online, right? And he 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 moves, starts working with Mark Henry, and the thing that you notice right off the fucking bat is patience. He's working behind his kicks, and you gotta imagine that Mark Henry's probably telling him, "Listen, man, your boxing is there. Your hands are always gonna be there. Like they're always gonna be a valid weapon, and your that toolbox. Like you need to." This is MMA. You got to find different ways to set things up, and if you start mixing your kicks in more often, it's going to help you establish range better, and you're going to have all these benefits. And then when guys do start moving, and it really sets up your hands. And I thought that you saw the most complete Cody Garbrandt we've ever seen last night. I mean, his 
win over Dominic Cruz was obviously very impressive and it was a world title thing and it was but we just saw the most patient Cody Garbrandt I think we've ever seen last night um and you know the way that he sat down and loaded up on that shot that knocked the Sun Sal out I mean he put him fucking Cody Garbrandt is I mean like you got guys like O'Malley that are but there's something about the way that Cody fucking cracks guys man I think he has the best hands at 135 and I think he has the best power at 135 and like I said I think next for him, a fight against Corey Sandhagen is a good fucking fight, man. Like I said, Corey didn't take a lot of damage in his fight. I think um, that both guys are very, very talented strikers. I think that Cody is more of a boxer, and then Corey has a little more range and versatility in his game. So it's interesting to see how those guys match up, man. And it feels like they're probably going to have to fight at some point, and now is a great time because it's beneficial for both of them if they win. It's a huge win for both guys. So... I don't know, man. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that matchup next. Uh, we'll see. And then you move on to the main event, and Amanda Nunes just went out and did her thing against Felicia Spencer. And Felicia Spencer, tough as nails, man, kept coming forward, kept trying. Kept, but it, she was just behind in the footwork battle, and she didn't really have any way to close off the distance between her and Amanda other than that Superman punch. And every time she went to throw it, Amanda would just stick the left hand out there like, popper with whatever she wanted you know what i mean it was just amanda was just her, she was so much more refined on the feet um her footwork was so much more precise and felicia just kept getting into a deeper and deeper hole as the fight went on to the point where you thought the corner might stop it but felicia was still trying and you want to like you want to let your fighter have like you you want to let them go out and try to finish the fight right and do what they can and like let them be proud of themselves for making it the whole way through um it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if they caught it after the fourth round, but it was. It also wasn't the worst thing in the world that they let it go. Um, but Amanda just dominated every aspect of the fight, like anywhere it went. There was nothing that Felicia could really even do, and Amanda would just even like take her down at will. And the power difference, and I think it was like the fifth round you saw Amanda slam Felicia to the ground, and you go, oh, man. There, there, there just didn't seem to be any clear avenue of success for Felicia Spencer anymore like it became obvious to me that she probably she wasn't going to win this fight after like the after the third round especially you go there's you could see her trying to put pressure on and amanda would just like easily shrug her off like felicia could never keep a hold of her and you start going okay if amanda keeps dotting her up and punching her like you don't want her to keep taking this kind of punishment and stuff it was i mean not the hardest fight in the world to watch or anything like that, but it was kind of rough, man. I mean, I, it was it, Felicia Spencer though. Like I said, tough as fuck. I think she's, she's going to learn a lot from that fight. I think she's going to get better from that fight. And you got to wonder though, what's next for Amanda Nunes? Um, greatest female fighter of all time. First fighter to ever defend a title in two weight classes while holding the belt simultaneously. Still, she's still the champion at 135, Right. So, I mean, I'm, I, I Amanda Nunes is making has and potentially already has made an argument as not just the greatest female fighter of all time, but the greatest fighter of all time. What she's accomplished is nothing short of incredible. And it's not like she's done it against girls who weren't talented. You know what I mean? And she's faced adversity through her career. Like she lost to Kat Zingano, but then after that, man, she just went on a rampage. Um, like she's knocked out Ronda Rousey. Holly Holm, uh, Misha Tate. I mean, some of the best girls in the world, like well, 
very well-respected martial artist, and she's taking care of all of them with relative ease. So, I don't know, man. It's You got to wonder who's next. Who's next? And especially with Amanda bulking up the fight at 145, I don't think Valentina seems as likely. So, it's going to be interesting to see, man. It's, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take somebody who, I mean, comes in there and, he either has like the performance of a lifetime to pull it off or it's going to just take some like phenom coming through and somebody who's massively stepped up stepped up their game in a short amount of time like they mentioned on the broadcast maybe somebody like Jermaine Durandamy who has such a strong base in Muay Thai but could probably work to defend takedowns you know what I mean just spend all of her time doing that similar to how like we talked about Cody, how his boxing is always going to be there. Like, Jermaine striking is always going to be there. So if you can just refine the takedown defense aspect, that fight against Amanda becomes a little bit more interesting, you know? So we'll see. But, um, yeah, great night of fights. A lot of things went down. Um, oh, and also I wanted to talk about <laughs> Conor McGregor said that he's going to retire. So now Dana White's in this position where he's kind of feuding with John Jones. He's feuding with Jorge Masvidal. Now Conor McGregor said he's going to retire. And – um. I don't think he's going to retire. I think Connor knows that there are a bunch of a bunch of fights out there that would still make him a lot of money. I think Connor still likes to fight. I think everybody's just kind of getting fed up with the process right now of everything. You know what I mean? Like how long everything is taking and I don't know. I think it's just a way for him to leverage every he, he always creating leverage, right? He's a businessman too. He's I mean, very business oriented, always thinking about making money. So he's just finding a way to gain leverage over the ufc you know what i mean just working his angle on it and this coronavirus presents an opportunity to do that and i think the fighters are smart to like take advantage of it and kind of at least challenge dana on these issues you know what i mean that's how you make that's how you make progress for fighters in a way so um it's interesting to see these guys kind of go back and forth and it's going to be interesting to see what comes of it um i would guess that when you've got three like stars like these guys they're going to find a way to remediate it somehow but there's a lot going on right now. I think it'll be slow, but I think I think all this is eventually going to work out, and you're going to see all three of these guys fight in the UFC again. But um, yeah, I th I think we hit pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about today. I, I mainly wanted to focus on the fights last night because they were just so. I mean, it was just a great night of fights and uh, a lot of finishes and stuff. So and a lot of a lot of movement, especially in the 135 pound division. So. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that weight class moving forward, especially with the title bout between Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo coming up. But like I said, I think I touched on everything I wanted to, so thank you guys for tuning in. For those of you watching on YouTube, just know that this is available on whatever podcast platform you like to listen on, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Store, wherever you can find it there. And um, if you're listening to the audio version, obviously we are available on YouTube. Um, yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in, and have a good day. Bye-bye.